Founders face mentors and masters. I'm Captain Hawk, CEO of Founderspace, the leading global startup accelerator. I'm also author of the award-winning books, Make Elephants Fly, Surviving a Startup, and The Five Horses. Today, I'm with Janice Litvin, speaker and author of Banish Burnout Toolkit. Thank you so much, Steve. I'm so pleased to be here. So I know in my own life, I was working for a while in this big company and my coworker was very negative. So every day, I really liked him. I mean, we were very close. Every day we would go out to lunch and talk, but every day he would complain about something in the company, something going on. And even though I didn't complain, that stuck with me. All those negative thoughts that he had that we were discussing at lunch made me go back to work and feel negative about it. And so I, at a certain point, stopped going out to lunch with him. Did you ever consider saying to him, you know, it's you're kind of negative or try to figure out a nice way to say, I think you're harming yourself with all this negativity and it's rubbing off on me. And I think you'd be happier if you try to twist your brain around. I know it's a very hard to confront people. I didn't know how to do that. I didn't think of myself as a person. He was older than me. So this was an older coworker. And I just, that didn't cross my mind to actually try to correct his behavior. I just looked at what, how it was affecting me. And it's like, well, if you want to be negative all the time. Did he ever say anything like, why did you stop going out to lunch with me? I basically started bringing lunch from home as my way of doing it. So it wasn't like I would, I would go out with him once in a while, but I was like, I'm just eating my lunch from home. I'm trying to save money. So it was not insulting him, but it got me out of it in an easy way. Well, you know, it's funny, my son, who's brilliant to this day in terms of people and intuition, there's someone that comes over sometimes, a friend, and there's a lot of negativity in her, like what you're talking about, about her life. It's always something. And he said one day when she was doing that, he said, okay, we were having dinner. He said, okay, everybody go around the table and say the best thing that happened to them this week without saying to her, you're being so negative. I want you to stop. He completely changed the conversation. And I thought that was brilliant on his part. That is brilliant. And it makes such a big difference in, in my life when I am constantly, I notice saying positive things to myself and other people not forcing myself to do it. I'm just doing it. And I think that's why I've been able to be so productive because I create this sort of positivity bubble. Yes, I think it's really important. And while you were talking, I was thinking to myself, if I were introduced to somebody very important, a judge or a president that I, I admired, I wouldn't go up to them and start complaining about my life and I wouldn't criticize them or I wouldn't criticize myself either. I would stay very positive. If you come at a problem and you're like, let's work together, let's make this better, then they have a positive reaction. If you go in and start complaining about them, well, instantly you're, you're, you're separating yourself. Now, I think it's hard because in some workplaces, in some situations, there are people who are very negative and critical or they do things that annoy you. For example, many, many years ago, my first computer job 
the woman who was on my team was very smart, but she was an alcoholic. And she came to work late, left early, took really long lunches, and you could smell it on her breath. And I was in my 20s at the time. I didn't know how to handle it. And um, when we got into the nuts and bolts of the software, she was very smart. So I guess what I did was just stay focused on the work. We can't always change the behavior of everybody around us. That's, that's impossible. We just have to live with certain things. But I want to talk about this burnout toolkit that you've developed because I think it's really valuable. You know, a lot of people associate burnout with you're just working too many hours. You're just pushing yourself too hard. But I honestly believe if you're enjoying your work and you love it, you don't burn out. Burnout is more of a mental condition. It's not like physically you're capable of doing it. It's mentally. It's when you mentally can't go on. And I'll tell you a story. First of all, I agree that when you love your work, you could go on and on. Now, during the pandemic, as we all know, everybody worked much harder. People who had children had to stop in the middle of the day, manage their children, come back to their desk and work from seven to midnight, even if they love their job. Burnout is also a physical thing. It's not just mental. You get physically exhausted and it spills over into the mental and vice versa. I believe as much as I really, really love my work and I could work till 10 o'clock every night and no problem, but I wasn't finding a balance, especially during the pandemic. I agree. I actually, I'm not saying you should work all the time without a break. My main point was that um, physically, the work we do isn't that demanding. Like literally you get up, you're typing on a keyboard, you're doing stuff. So, um, but the, the mentally is where the strain is. And you're absolutely right. When you are mentally burned out, you become physically exhausted because you, you just, it, you're, you just can't handle it. And I also believe that, you know, the physical and mental can't really be divided. Like your, your body is one, you're one organism. It's all, it's it everything's interacting with everything else so i know for myself you know when i have when i'm down mentally i physically feel the pain and i and we're all that way let's talk about some of the tools that you give people that you've discovered that work for you work for other people to really alleviate that burnout when people ask me that question i love to talk about tool number one because it's something that you can start doing today and you don't need a lot of knowledge. Number one is stop and audit. So I start with stop. Stop stands for stop, take a deep breath, observe and proceed. And that comes from John Kabat-Zinn, who's considered the father of modern day mindfulness. So what this does is the stop is pretty obvious. You stop what you're doing. So something has happened or you've generated some negativity because of something that isn't happening, whatever the negativity is. The stopping allows you to interrupt those negative thoughts I talked about because they're on automatic with me. And I constantly, not constantly, but when it happens upon occasion, I have to say, wait a minute, you're being negative. Does this thing need this degree of negativity? If no one's in the hospital and their legs aren't broken, I don't think I need to get this upset. So that's the stop. Take a breath is pretty obvious. A deep cleansing breath does activate the parasympathetic system and it really does have a calming effect on your body. The observe 
allows you to change the emotional reaction and move it from the amygdala, the fear center of the brain, to the prefrontal cortex, the executive functioning, thinking, rational part of the brain, and then proceed allows you to choose how you're going to react or whatever you're going to do. So that's stop. And I love that one because a lot of times stress causes us to have a reaction. Someone says something rude or is critical in a meeting. And sometimes you just need to not react and to stop and breathe. You might have to excuse yourself from the meeting, but to stop and breathe and come back with questions rather than getting defensive. When you get really, really angry, really, really defensive, it turns people off and they don't take you as seriously. So that's the first half of the first tool. The second half is something I call a stress audit, something I created that helps you after the stressful incident, either when you get back to your desk or you get home or whenever you're done with work, to write down how you felt. Because when you write with a pen and paper, it activates a different awakening in the brain. And sometimes it's something else that's bothering you, but you don't know what the connection is. And when you can deep, dig deep and find out what that connector is, it helps you let go of the issue. Yeah, I, I think all of us have experienced that where we get upset over something and we overreact. But later we realize we overreacted because we are all already primed for that reaction by something else that was going on in our life. Right. I'll give you a quick story, a quick story. So a friend came over one day and I'm coughing and she goes, how are you doing? I said, oh, I have a little flu. I wasn't super sick, but my nose was running and coughing and I just wanted to go to bed. And she said, well, you probably have allergies. I flipped out. I said, I don't have allergies. It got, it really made me angry. And I stormed out of the room and that was the end of it. My husband sat with her and had tea. I decided to write about it because I thought that wasn't that extreme a thing that she said. Why did I get really, really angry? And I realized, and I'd completely forgotten this situation. I realized that when my father was on his last legs, I had gotten sick and I couldn't go home to Houston to see him. And I was very, very frustrated. I made an appointment with my doctor and I said, I need an antibiotic. And I know, you know, in the last 10, 20, 30 years, they don't want to give antibiotics because they're getting becoming less useful. But I really wanted to go home and see my father. She said, well, you probably have allergies. And I flipped at her and I started crying and boohooing. My father's sick. I want to go home. Please give me an antibiotic, which I finally got. But I had forgotten that that connection to that comment. Well, that's a really deep connection. And once you realize that, you realize something about yourself too. And, and you know, your life and how you react to things. So um, writing it down, I like that because it gets you to think about it in a more detached way, a more objective way. Yes. When, I, for, I forgot to add that. That was very, uh, quite a good insight on your part. When you write, while you're writing, the amygdala is dumping. And that amygdala, by the way, is also known as the fight, flight, or freeze part of the brain for those listeners who know their science. And so while you're writing, you're letting the amygdala get it all out. When you go back and reread it, now the prefrontal cortex is turned on and you're reading it, like you said, from a more objective point of view. And then you can be objective about 
what decisions you want to make as a result or what you want to do or say or not say. And it allows you to process it so that when you're in a similar situation, the next time somebody says you probably have allergies, you'll catch yourself. You won't react that way. Exactly. And and I like the idea that um, you don't always have to have a comeback to everything. You can choose to be silent. Sometimes silence is more powerful than having some kind of quick and clever comeback to a situation. Yes. And it, it actually doesn't put you in a position of weakness. Like if you're in an office with coworkers, it can put you in a position of strength because you can just sit back. They don't know what you're thinking and you can process what just happened and then come up with the best response to actually move the ball forward and get what you really want. You, you know, some, sometimes we just want to punish people, you know, so we react, but in, that may feel good in the short term, you know, lashing out at them, getting, getting them back for what they said that was so inconsiderate. But in the long run, it actually, if you think about it, in most cases, it doesn't get you where you want to be. Now you have this deeper conflict with this coworker. It, you, you're actually going to have more problems in the future. They're going to be upset at you. It's just going to make things much harder. And if you're on a team, you really need to be able, as you know, you really need to be able to get along and work together. And I know teams are very complicated and it's hard to get along with everybody, but catching yourself before you react is a very powerful tool. So I'm traveling across the country now, going from Airbnb to Airbnb because I love it. I love to be out there. And I went into one Airbnb that I had paid for, signed up for, and the woman greeted me and she says, welcome to my home. I had paid to rent the entire thing. So I thought she was being real nice, showing me around the house. But then I realized she wasn't leaving. <laughs> oh my gosh. She was staying, even though I'd rented the whole place. Oh my gosh. And she said, I hope this isn't a problem. My initial reaction was to lash out, like say, of course it's a problem. I paid for the whole thing. You listed the whole thing. What are you talking about? And it wasn't just her. Other family members were there. Uh, who's, whose family members? Yours or hers? Her family members. You're kidding. So, but then I calmed myself down. I did what you said. I took a breath. I calmed down. I said, if I lash out, things are going to be much worse. Exactly. She's going to get really defensive. We're going to get an argument. Then, And where do I sleep tonight? This is the place I booked. So I just handled it calmly. I thought about strategically what I need to do. I figured out where she was coming from. It turned out she was a nice lady. That was her first posting on Airbnb. She had no clue what she was doing. And she kind of knew she screwed up. But what ended up happening is I stayed the night in one of the rooms and I got her to refund the money and then I left which was the best outcome I could have hoped for in that situation. And we remained friends. Like we, there was no fighting. Yeah. And you treated her with respect, which I love that part, even though you were upset. This is really important because a lot of the listeners here are entrepreneurs. They have their own companies. They're under enormous pressure. You know, they're under pressure from their investors. They're under pressure from themselves. Mostly they're under pressure from their employees who expect things that they probably aren't getting. Whenever you're a manager, your employees want stuff and it's impossible to be the perfect manager. What are some more tools that they can use in this situation? When it comes to working with people, if they're your employee or even a subcontractor, is to treat them as you wish to be treated. Speak to them with respect, give them as much control as you possibly can. One of the three 
causes of burnout in the workplace, according to Gallup, too much work, lack of control, and not enough support from our managers. So if you can give them the right amount of support, ask them how much support they need. Don't overwork them unless it's very temporary and you're very humble and kind about it and say, we're going to go through a rough patch. It's only going to be a month. You will be rewarded. But treating people with respect and knowing people, one of the best ways to know them is to spend time together and really, really know them. Ask them about non-work things in their life. Take them to lunch once in a while and say, so what do you like to do on the weekends? What's your favorite sport to play? How many children do you have? What are their names? What are their activities? That's the way to build intimacy with other people is to talk to them about non-work issues when you can take the time to do that. And then you develop loyalty and trust. And a better bonding, happiness, chemical oxytocin gets released and uh, you're all better off for it. Right. And when you go into work and when you have a big problem to solve, all those things pay off. Absolutely. And you're not doing it just for the payoff. You're doing it because it's the right thing to do and because you'll be happier and they'll be happier. Being a manager isn't easy, but you hit on a couple points that are, are really important for people to understand. You know, you being burned out is one thing, but you also don't want your employees to be burned out. You mentioned that one of the biggest causes of burnout is feeling like things are out of control. I did some startups and when things were out of control, that's when I felt on the verge of collapsing because you just don't know how to handle them. And it's very, very stressful. And then your employees too, when they feel like their boss is demanding stuff and they're not in control and they're under these, the pressure of these deadlines that they didn't impose on themselves that are being forced on them, again, they feel that intense pressure, which leads to burnout. So we're in these type of situations that are kind of pressure cookers, which a lot of startups are, what are other things managers can do? The best way to motivate an employee is to ask them what they want to work on. Ask them what their goals are. A good Now, in an entrepreneurial situation, there's not a lot of career growth per se, but making sure your employees are doing the job they're best suited for. So if you have somebody doing administrative tasks, but they're better on the phone, let them do the phone work and really understand the person's goals and make sure that they are happy in the work you've given them to do. And if there are other things you have to ask them to do, you can do it respectfully like I talked about before. That's great advice. Ask people, don't tell them, figure out, ask them, what do you want to do? Where do you want to go? How are you, how do you think we can reach this goal? Like, because ultimately you just want to get to the goal. You don't really care how it gets done, but you want to know from them. Now there are problems with that. Let's say they want to change into another role where, where they have limited experience and they may not even have talent. How do you deal with that? Send them to training if you can afford it and they can do it on their time. Say for now, uh, I respect where you're coming from. I plan to help you get there. For now, I need you to do this other job because that's what I hired you for. And I'm willing to help you get to the next step. I'm going to help you research some training we can get you to and get you to where you want to go so you'll be ultimately happy. The entrepreneur for the CEO who has their own business, when they feel like things are out of their control, which happens a lot, because honestly, in doing a company, you have a payroll to meet, 
but the money coming in isn't always there. So there's this huge stress. You know, if you're a startup in Silicon Valley, you're always spending more money than you have. You're not profitable at the beginning, so you're going to have to raise more money, but you never know when you're going to close those deals. How can entrepreneurs deal with those type of things, which are inherently out of their control? You know, I'm reminded of a story. It doesn't exactly answer it, but it relates. And I will try to get back to the exact question you asked. Uh, a friend of mine a few years ago worked for a startup. Uh, one of the companies that goes around mapping to prepare for driverless cars and that software. And the CTO was a screamer. And my friend was a recruiter. And Every now and then something wasn't going well, the CTO would start screaming. There were 12 people in the startup at the time, and I'm sure the guy was highly stressed. Screaming is never okay, never. It's okay to say, I'm frustrated, I'm angry, I need you to step out of the room for 20 minutes because I've got to get this other thing done. Uh, but it's never okay to start screaming and yelling at people. It's very hurtful. You don't want to be screamed at. Why are you screaming? One of the best ways is to share with them what you're going through. Wow, we're almost out of money. Now that's a that's a very tricky thing to tell a group of employees that you've got to make, meet payroll. We're almost out of money and I've already lined up a next round of funding. Uh, we're in, a, in our final approval process. I'm feeling very edgy and stressed out right now. In a week, I'll be back to normal but I just want you to know what my struggles are. When you share your struggles, they will share their struggles and the stigma against mental health helps, uh, it helps eliminate that. That's really good advice. Yeah, so if you're feeling stressed out, a lot of times, a lot of managers will try to hide it or mask it or blame it on someone or something else. That is exactly the wrong thing to do. That just like makes it much worse. And keeping it bottled up means at some point you're just going to explode and be that become that screamer. But actually admitting to your employees that you are stressed out, that things aren't going perfectly. And I would say you could even ask them for help. You could even say, look, I'm under all this pressure. Is there a way you guys can pitch in and help me? Like we can all get through this together. Yes. And then you will, um, you will ignite a different feeling from those employees, a more feeling of care because by nature, we want to help each other. Yeah. If they didn't want to help you, they, you know, they probably, you wouldn't be working together. You as, as the head of your company, you're creating this environment. You can create all types of environments, one where everybody is secretive, where you keep the information close. No, a lot of CEOs do this. Like if they're running out of money, they don't want to tell anybody. They think everybody will jump ship, but it's actually what you're saying is, do the opposite. You're actually going to, you're going to make them want to stick with that ship even to the very last minute because they trust you. They believe you. You're telling them you're exposing your vulnerabilities. As long as you constantly express yourself with respect, you will get respect back. Now, if somebody jumps ship, well, okay, fine. You'll find the next person. There are plenty of uh, software engineers in Silicon Valley. And they were probably going to jump ship anyway. You're never going to hold the people who are ready to jump. In fact, you're, the best way to hold them is to create a great environment, create open communication where they feel like they can tell you anything because you're telling them everything. Right. And the more open you are with them, the more open they'll be back. And you can, you can stop by their desk once in a while, whether it's on Zoom or wherever you're communicating and say, how is it going? How are you doing? Are you happy with your work? 
What obstacles are you know, these things you should be doing anyway? What obstacles are you encountering? And also, I really want to make the point that a CEO, especially in a startup, shouldn't be hiding in their ivory tower. They should be, and and this is true for every size company. The CEO should be out there walking the halls, so to speak, dropping by people's desk from time to time. How's it going? I really want to know. I really care about my people. I want my people to be happy because a happy employee makes a healthy company for the bottom line and the customers. Yeah, for everybody, everything. They work better, they perform better. Most people, if they like their job, pay doesn't matter that much. Like pay matters, but, but they're not gonna be going out and looking for other jobs. That's absolutely true, especially engineers. Once you're making a 180, 200, 210, 220, 230, how much more money do you need? You have a nice home, your children are well-fed and have nice clothes. They go to a nice school. How much? How many more boats and cars and horses and things do you really need? You want to be happy with your work. And I think it's really important for company leaders to know that what people really want is fulfilling work. Yes. And it's true of almost every, every job level. Like people will stick with a job because usually they're not going to get that much more by switching anyway. So the money is almost never a priority. It's, it's always like, do I like my job? Do I like the people? Do I feel like it's meaningful? Do I fit in? Like, am I one of them or am I an outsider? If they feel like an outsider, they'll leave. If you're coming to their desk and talking to them and making them feel included, those are the things that matter. Now, there's a question I wanted to ask you. What are the biggest myths you've encountered about burnout? Things that people believe that just, they're not true. Most people think that burnout is an individual issue. In reality, burnout is a two-way relationship. Just like I talked about before, about treating people with respect so that you will be treated with respect. It's the same about burnout. Company leaders of all sizes need to know that the, it, like you were just talking about, the environment they create can cause or not cause burnout. If you're working your people 80 hours a week for years, they're gonna start hightailing it out of there, especially as soon as they can. You don't want them grumbling and, and hanging on to resentment. The last thing you want is a burned out organization because everything's gonna suffer. The customers are gonna suffer. The bottom line will be stronger if the people are happier because people will be doing their best work. Happy employees are more creative with their problem solving. So you said something that really struck me there. And that was most people believe burnout is a thing that you have like individually. And what you're saying, no, is burnout is a, a group thing. It's a systemic. A systemic thing and the way you fight burnout is not by just working on yourself, but working on yourself in relationship to everybody around you, your family, your coworkers, your friends. We all know that during the pandemic, healthcare workers got burnt out. Nurses, doctors, and many other, from anybody dealing with the healthcare system. There are some inherently huge problems with the system. You probably have doctor friends who, when they were in medical school and the first few years after, would be put on 48-hour or 72-hour shifts. I remember 
when I was having my baby and I needed the epidural, the guy came in and he was at the end of a 24-hour shift. They had to wake him up from a nap so he wasn't sharp. And he set the thing up, but he didn't push the button. And the nurse comes in and says, he didn't push the button. I'm, and, you know, I'm screaming now because the labor's into my lower bones in my lower back. It's a perfect example. Why do you have these bizarre systemic rules that don't serve anybody? They don't serve the doctors and nurses, and they certainly don't serve the patients. Another even more important example is that doctors are taught to have empathy, but not to feel because they want to stay in control. But the suicide rate among physicians is higher than any other profession in the world. And doctors being told, no, you can't take time off. We need you. There's a horrible story of a doctor who ended up committing suicide because he kept saying, I need break. I need a break. I need a break. They needed him. And he should have taken the break. Sadly, everybody lost this person. And so that's a perfect example of systemic burnout. Hospitals are a great example because the healthcare system, the way it is, they're always pushing uh, to get more and more out of it. The doctors themselves, I know I've talked to them, my friends, some, some of my close friends are doctors. They say they feel like they're on a treadmill. They don't have time. So even when they want to spend time with patients, even when they want to empathize and relate to them, they, they literally cannot do it because they're structured out of it. So all those connections we're talking about having at work that really make the job satisfying, our system is taking those out away from doctors so that they don't get that satisfaction on the job. And it's a shame because of course, they won't perform as well. And the patients know it when you go into your doctor and they're in a rush and they can only give you 15 minutes and- Yeah, and then, then, then they give you a handout. I'm like, what, what's this? because they don't have time to do anything else. And that is something, that is where, that's why doctors get burned out, the whole system is broken. So a system that allows people to be human, to connect with people, whether it's your company, if it's your company, you're responsible for that system. And how can we architect it so that the people in that system can really bond, connect, support one another and communicate. And feel pride in the system. What was the worst failure you had? What impact did that have on you in terms of burnout? And how did you get over that? Back when I was a computer programmer, I was fresh out of college. I was given an assignment for a special project and I knew it was going to take some overtime. And the, and my boss and I had a talk about it. And he was nice enough to say, this isn't going to go on too long, but um, we really want you to do a great job. And I did my great job. And then when it came time to performance review, I did not get a very good review. I got an average performance review because the way they did things, they could only give out so many high level reviews. And I complained about that situation for weeks. What I should have done was mapped out what I really wanted to do next because I really wasn't that happy being a computer programmer. What I really wanted to do was be a trainer. So I ended up leaving that company after a few years because I really wasn't that happy with the job to begin with. To wrap this up, I would like you to tell the audience out there, how can they get a hold of you? How can they learn more about your wonderful book and the things you're doing online? 
Well, thank you for asking. My website is JaniceLitvin.com. I just happen to have my book nearby. This is Banish Burnout Toolkit. And you're each going to get to download a free copy by going to JaniceLitvin.com slash book. Enter your name and email address. I don't send out a lot of emails. You can always unsubscribe, but I would love to get to know you. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you liked it, hit the subscribe button and share it with your friends. You can help us create more great content by subscribing and sharing. Also, if you want to access our online startup program, our investor network, and our entrepreneur resources, just come to founderspace.com.